Coming up with Cameron Johnson now, a very well-paid player for the Brooklyn Nets. Does he need to be a top 50, top 40 player for the Brooklyn Nets to be ultimately successful in the upcoming season? We break down all the key statistical categories to his success coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, uh, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie. He's the owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel. He's got you covered. I'm Adam Arbrecht, breaking on the New York Football Giants on the One Giant Podcast. My boy, Andy Mack, and your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck Podcast with Danny McDonough. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're absolutely free on all those platforms. And let you know, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And Doug, let's get started on the conversation around one Cameron Johnson. We know this has been mostly an interesting offseason from adding other pieces, and we're debating small minute shares and how the rotations are going to work out. Cameron Johnson is cemented with Mikhail Bridges as being the twins that need to rebuild the status of this organization. The question becomes... Is he going to, Cameron Johnson, live up to that contract and be a top 50 player for Brooklyn? Yeah, this always is what happens, right? In the NBA and really anything else, with great money comes great responsibility uh, when it comes to just your overall performance and the expectations once you sign bigger contracts change for players. And uh, this summer, Cameron Johnson went from being a guy who was a contract that was nice, you know, really, really good role player and you'd love to have it to got to be top X kind of player to sort of start fulfilling what this contract is, right? Not a max contract by any means, but over $20 million a year. And it really, it changed, it begins to change the narrative around these guys. And, you know, a lot of NBA players reach this point at some point, especially the really good ones is it's all well and good until you start getting really paid. And now the expectations around you completely change. And yeah. I think we're looking at a season coming up for Cam Johnson here where that is going to be the case because he got paid. It was we're all fine with the contract, but now the expectations raise around where he should and needs to be as a player in order for the Nets to function at sort of a higher level. And I think when you start looking at it that way, it gets starts getting a little close about where he actually ranks among the NBA elite. Yeah, it's probably true, right? And we know that, uh, and we've given kind of, I think, some wiggle room to even Mikhail Bridges, even though he absolutely blew everybody out of the water in terms of what he accomplished yeah. in 27 games after the trade. But Dorian Finney-Smith, right? Spencer Dinwiddie, all these new guys that came over and some of the, I'm going to label it chaos, but just the disjointedness after the trade of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you try to give a bit of a pass. And for Cameron Johnson, I think, Let's start here with when we talk about can he be a top 50 player? And there's some key statistical categories I think we look at. But if you go and look just at the playoff series against the Philadelphia 76ers where the Nets get swept, is, is that enough? Is 18 and a half points per game? By the way, on 86% from the line, on 43% from deep, on 51% from the field. The percentages are all there. Is the only difference from, I think, because that was the big burst for me, was what he showed in that playoff series, right? When McHale is going to be focused on more, Cameron Johnson stepped up. The only thing he has to do from there is 
more volume and stay as productive and be a 20 plus point score, right? Like that's box number one for him to check. Cause I don't think that he can be anything less than a 20 plus point score for Brooklyn. If he's going to live up to this money. Yeah. And this is where it's going to start really getting close for him. Look, like I said, 22 ish million dollars a year is not a max contract, but it's a lot. And when that's on your books, especially in this new age of the NBA salary cap and CBA, like that's these contracts can get a, a little bit weird. Right. But, um, in terms of like his overall output, I don't think that playoff series, honestly, in some ways, the playoff series just kind of got him back to where he hadn't totally been in the regular season since coming over to the Nets. I, like it was 18 and a half points a game, but that was an increased minute. So I, I don't like uh, now also a tougher environment. So maybe you think those two things equal out uh, to some degree. Thankfully, the three point shot started coming around or back around for him after he really struggled to begin with coming over or at least not getting up to his you know career levels sure. since coming over from Phoenix in terms of just overall play, you know, let's just give some context to this, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like when you try to rank players, it can get a little tough. Um, obviously there's lots of different ways that this can go, you know, w- just in terms of his contract, he sits at 67th overall in the league. And just in terms of overall money, and I think he's right around the same at a- average annual value too. Now that's a little so you're like, okay, he's got to be a top 70 player, but that's a little wrong because that doesn't include some rookie scale contracts of guys that are clearly going to be better, right? So like some right. of these rookies that haven't gotten paid yet. So like he's probably, you know, he's definitely going to sit lower than that just in terms of like relative value towards like, compared to the money. And then there's going to be guys above him that are massively overpaid, uh, cough, cough, Ben Simmons. So like there's going to be, there's going to be different dudes along those, along those lines. And if you look at some top 100 to 150 rankings from independent sources about experts to try to put this together like the ringer had him at 94th in june of last year right so it's like is it reasonable for him from that one independent marker for him to come up 30 spots 40 spots over the course of one year it can be done but is it realistic like i don't know that's hard right and so we'll go through some of the numbers but just starting at those two numbers like, are you worried from the, from the, and I know I, I'm throwing, you gave, you gave me a question. I'm going back at you with a question. But no, it's the, good. It's a better um, redirect. They call it a redirect. Yeah. Yeah. Problem. But, but in terms, <laughs> I'm just like trying to like give this context, right? Because the context matters here, because I'll tell you right now, when you start looking at the, the group of guys that are in the 50 range and we start throwing those names out, it, it becomes a different conversation about where Cameron Johnson is. So I think, and it's good that you bring it up this way because. There's two things. So one, to, to reference the ringer there, when they say, hey, we had him at 94th going back to last June. Okay, but that at the time is a guy who goes into a season. He's coming off of a year where he's playing 26 minutes a game and he's giving you 13 points. Then he goes into the start of this season with Phoenix and he's giving you 13, almost 14 points a game. Again, 25 minutes. He ended up playing 31 minutes with the Brooklyn Nets when he came over and got it to 16, 17 points a game. So I think if you went back right and put him into the category of being a starter and being in that role you probably see it uh, him being a little bit higher by a lot of margins now when you say that top 70 player based on contracts and a couple other factors i think the biggest concern is and we'll get into deeper on these stats in a second the bigger concern is what he represents for brooklyn nets along with mikhail bridges right the contract adds to it but mostly it's you are effectively one of the replacements for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as is Mikhail Bridges and that's I think the biggest hurdle for Cameron Johnson perceptually to overcome is that you are supposed to now be an elite level starter in the NBA 
going yep. for all-star appearances, right? Like that's the connotation that's being associated with him. And in a second, we'll break down whether or not that's achievable. All right, get into that in a second. But first, got to talk about our friends over at FanDuel. You're going to like to hear this. Football season is about to kick off. FanDuel is going to give you the chance to win all season long right now. When you bet on a Super Bowl winner, we're looking way out here. You get uh, bonus bets every time they w- that team wins in the regular season. You heard me right here. You bet on the Super Bowl winner, and you're going to get paid if those Super Bowl winner that you picked actually just wins the whole regular season long. Woo! So that, you can, you're not going to find a better deal than this, folks. I mean, the FanDuel has just got this stuff figured out. They can give you the long-term kind of looking thing, and they can get you in on the short-term as well. Pick any team to win the Super Bowl. You'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use those bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders. FanDuel's got so many ways that they slice and dice this thing. All you got to do is go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. Start earning those bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Okay, you're listening to the Locked On Nets podcast where we're discussing one Cameron Johnson and whether or not the contract, the hype, the stats, does it all converge for him being someone who is a top 50 player or is it top 70 like the money says or is it top 100 like maybe the stats tell you? That's what becomes fascinating. Before I, I want to go to some key um, statistical categories for him, but do you agree with what I closed there the first segment that th- so much of this is actually about living up to perception rather than than maybe what the numbers should tell you? And it's not even a knock on Cameron Johnson. I think he's going to take a leap forward here, but but there's a lot attached to this that really isn't about what his skill set, his track record, and the sample size last season would suggest should be the reasonable expectations. Totally, totally makes sense. And I'll give you some good news too. Like if we look at some of these like AV in terms of the contract or just some of these other lists, right? I can already start vaulting him well. Like guys I'd rather have on my team, I can start putting him ahead of guys on this list. I'm not going to read the whole list, but like, oh, let's throw him over Tobias Harris, like going forward, you know, maybe KCP, Clint Capella, right? Like Malcolm Brogdon. Like there's a bunch of guys that I'm have no problem just kind of pushing him past pretty quickly maybe even like cj mccollum probably not but if you start factoring in age steven adams right so i'm i'm listing these guys because i'm like okay there's clearly guys above him on the list that mm-hmm. you would rather have at this contract and these right. and again i'm using these lists because we're just trying to give a context there's lots of these things out there and then if you start looking at contracts i i mentioned some of these rookie guys that are going to be lower than him in money but then like guys that make more than him also Evan, Evan Fournier, right? You know, in terms of like oh total oh, um excuse me, no, no, not Fournier. Um like Duncan Robinson. Like there's mm. other guys that are on this list already that it just you're not so worried about like him already having vaulted past as well. So it's like because sure. there's plenty of bad contracts out there. But like you said, when you start getting paid at the upper echelon of your team's salary cap, you probably have to turn right. into more of a player. And and I there's for sure areas that cam cam johnson has to improve on here that like it's gonna have to happen this year in order to push him past like into that next level right yeah. like there's some i'll go through some stats here in a second but does that make sense just from a sort of just like giving a context standpoint of or would you agree that his game at this point and i think sometimes money helps with this because money gives you a longer leash in the offense and money just gives you you know, like the idea that you can just your your minutes are more set in stone, right? There's like other things that but come I'm along with money that I'm I, like getting, I don't get yanked for mistakes. <laughs> right, exactly. Like there's yeah. not it's not the longest leash ever, but money definitely will give you much longer latitude or much more latitude in terms of, like you said, making mistakes. 
But there's clearly areas of his game that are going to have to improve to start meeting some of these numbers because I think there are clear gaps also. So it's interesting, right? And I, I wonder if actually I, I'm going to pull this confidently with a little bit of concern that I could be off base. But he took 12 shot attempts last year after coming over from uh, Phoenix to Brooklyn, right? Two more shots than he took in Phoenix on five more minutes of game time. He's probably going to play another two, three, three minutes on average in the upcoming season for the Brooklyn Nets as well. So if he keeps hitting and at least the three-point percentage comes back to life a little bit relative to what it was um, in previous years, only 37% in the 27 games for Brooklyn, Again, right, a little more volume, just to your point about I'm not going to get held back in the offense. I'm not going to be looked at as the facilitator or the guy that needs to acquiesce to XYZ. I'm going to be one of the main focal points. And we've also talked about, maybe we'll touch on segment three, like some of the pieces that could be in place here for Brooklyn that would help open up his game as well. So I do agree with you in that regard. As we turn our attention to stats, you're going to go, I think, with some other numbers. I went over to craftednba.com. Here's my, this isn't a concern, but I just want to qualify something. His true shooting percentage is 61.7. That's 79th percentile. His shot quality is in the 94th percentile. His three point attempt rate is in the 75th percentile. So they're like now 75th percentile. I'd say, Hey, that can go up. You can increase that volume. I, my point here, and you can go over the defensive side too, where he's in the 89th, 81st in deflections and defensive rebounds in versatility. A lot of the key measuring sticks for him suggest that he's been like crushing it. Like he yeah. he's already been doing it at a very high level, which makes me confident that with more minutes, it's only going to get better. And also like mildly concerned that maybe we're we're undervaluing where where his floor actually was. Like this guy may be very close to his ceiling right now and, and setting an expectation that it's going to take this next big leap could actually be very difficult for him to accomplish. Yeah, look, because, yeah, you're right. Though. There's plenty of underlying analytics that that do have him, actually, as this kind of player. And box score plus minus from last year, he was a top, like, 40, 45 player, right? right. And so uh, and, and all these stats have flaws, and all these stats can be just kind of construed different ways. Yeah. I do take – there is relative solace when, like, in BPM, the top guys were, like, Jokic and B, Doncic, Butler, <laughs> right. Giannis, Steph, right? Like, so it's, like, it's not too far wrong in, ter in determining – you know who the great players are. It gets the great guys right. Uh, yeah, sometimes Joe Harris didn't fall... sneak in there, so you can feel a little bit like there's some value. <laughs> it can fall down a little bit in the middle tiers as things get a little like sort of more role player ish. But like mm -hmm. the guys in terms of BPM that he sat around were Jaron Jackson Jr., Paul George, Brotley, the aforementioned Brogdon, right? Siakam, Drew Holiday. Like these were the same guys in the same tier with him. And so when you look at his name in that tier, you're like. Oh, that's interesting because the other guys around him are all good. De'Aaron Fox, Fred Van Vliet, right? So, like, there's no question right. about some of these guys' status in the overall game. And then, it, so when I look at that, I'm like, oh, it's that's interesting. Like, he sits in this group where you would probably agree with most of the rest of the list right. <laughs> relative to some other. Maybe you want to jockey them around a little bit, but you're not putting Fred Van Vliet down to 94. <laughs> right like you're not putting Darren <laughs> Follicks none of those guys are falling into the 90s so you right. start feeling pretty good around that when it, when it comes into context and if you look at his shooting I mean he's basically well above average true shooting from like every spot on the floor that he takes shots and this part is important above the break threes well above average restricted area actually just finishes pretty well at the rim you like to see that which is good because he's his size corner threes he's elite um even in the mid-range he 
is above average, but, and here's the problem, he doesn't take any shots. He doesn't take many shots from there. And I think right. this is the expansion you're going to need to see. It's like this part, I think all the I think all the other boxes get checked for him, right? Yes. Like he sits in those groups already. It's just maybe that his game has not expanded enough where it like passes the eye test for everybody too. Sure. Does that make sense? Because I think sometimes yeah. you have to do all the other stuff in order to pass the eye test, or you've only been given the opportunity to do things that you just that you're always going to succeed, and you're not putting in spots where you're gonna it's gonna be a little harder. But all the yeah. other numbers, like all the numbers, support this this move up. I don't like. It, there's really not a lot of numbers that don't support it, frankly. No, and I think again, it just comes down to I alluded to it uh, earlier about you know is Ben Simmons in the lineup and healthy? That that changes the dynamic not just for Cameron Johnson, it changes the dynamic of this offense, right? It makes it better. We've talked about Dennis Smith Jr. before. Not that he's going to be this, he's not going to be an elite offensive player, but he's a table setter, right? Things that the Nets maybe lacked, and we know how successful Spencer Dinwiddie was shifting gears into that role, but there were more. There were more guys that were likely to have that ball in their hand taking shots than there were guys that were looking to set the table for others. And I actually think like for Cameron Johnson's game, there can be an expansion there for him where it opens some things up. The biggest question for me is him dry, is getting at the basket. If we're just going to label like the one thing that really moves the needle here as we start to think about coming up in a second, the, the projection for 2023, that's the last facet for me. Can you do that? Can you take the ball in your hands, take on a one-on-one -on -one defensive assignment and win and go with the basket and get to the free throw line with a higher frequency? Because the one thing in his game that I didn't think he did enough of was getting to the line, right? Like we know that that would be for the profile of player you are for the Brooklyn Nets and the value and importance you have for them. You have to be getting the line more than he got there three and a half times a game when he came over to Brooklyn. Uh, is that enough? Like it's good but I'd probably say he needs to get there five, six times a game with consistency to maintain that pressure. Coming up here in a second, we'll look forward to 2023 in addition to getting at the basket. What else does Cameron Johnson need to accomplish to be the value that Brooklyn needs from him? All right, Locked On Nets talking about Cameron Johnson and what we expect for him in 2023. Doug, I almost broke down there at the end of the previous segment. I couldn't, qu couldn't quite establish where I wanted to go next when it comes to Cameron Johnson. One note that I did want to kick this off with, I mentioned the number of shots that he was taking. But if you go and look at the total shots for the year, um, it actually had him slightly higher on volume in terms of field goal attempts per game. I wanted to establish where that would put him in the hierarchy, hierarchy excuse me, of the NBA. In the postseason, Cameron Johnson, in those just four games, took 14 shot attempts per game. So that's an improvement yeah. off of what he did over the regular season. But if you go by NBA standards regular season, top 50 is Halliburton, Maxi, Bridges took just over 15 attempts per game, Holiday, uh, Vanchero, Jordan Poole, though. It's not unreasonable for me. I want to ask you, is it unreasonable? Because I don't think it is to say, Cameron Johnson, you need to be a top 50 field goal attempt guy, right? Like you need to be in the top 50 or 40 of shot attempts per game based on how this team is currently constructed. Yeah, look, and and I agree with you. And just to like, just to um, kind of drill it down a little further, if, if even if you just weren't looking at shot attempts, if you were just looking at like overall usage, like where is his usage, mm -hmm. usage rate sit? Um, and just in terms of because sometimes the one thing about shot attempts, and I agree with you because it's like a good starting point, it the usage will also factor in like possessions that 
ended with you also. So like turnovers too. That could, could, could mean you were actually trying to do something and that shot attempts just won't factor for, right? Or right. um, or just like getting to the foul line. Like so because like that will that will factor in too. It all I still these numbers still agree with you that it needs to be higher. Like the usage rate in the playoffs was under 20%. And that's just not going to be that's just not going to be good enough um, for where he is and like where the number is uh, in terms of like where he has to improve. Right. The usage rate is going to have to climb because one, I think just to in order to get into this next level of guy, you just have to be higher. You almost have to be higher usage unless you're totally crazy elite at other stuff like rim protection or even like just only defense guys are going to have trouble getting here unless you're just so, so good if you're not just take if you're not just taking shots like you just have to be taking shots and being pretty good at it i think the good news is in terms of like where his like just where he sits with the overall team now i think that will be i don't know that will be allowed does that make sense <laughs> like i think that like he's because right because even if you take out out of the playoffs the the usage rates for the for the nets last season after the trade deadline Bridges at 30%. Love to see it. He was super efficient. Cam Thomas, who, even though he didn't get to play tons, he was 27%. That's a little weird because it gets boxed into those games where he just shot all the shots. Dinwiddie right. at 22%. And then Cameron Johnson at 20.6%, which is only slightly higher than like Seth Curry. <laughs> right. Well, I was gonna say, and... by the way, like when you mentioned when you mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie there, it's like every Nets fan is gonna go, Whoop, hold on a second here. You gotta flip those numbers. Like exactly. Spencer Dinwiddie cannot have a higher yes. usage than Cameron Johnson. Yeah. That's and that was the next. We're on the same page, then, because that was the next point I was going to say. Now it's not crazy higher, like twenty two percent to twenty percent, but yeah, I agree with you that like those that is like a great place to start and saying, hey, what needs to start flipping in this offense in order for us to start seeing if this can happen? That has mm-hmm. to flip, right? All yeah. of his other and and we could see we could see the efficiency for Cam go way down when that happens, right? Right? Like if you just get to take more shots, sometimes almost always those shots are worse. <laughs> Yeah. Right. The extra shots you get to take are worse shots. But in order to vault yourself higher into NBA, into this sort of NBA lexicon or the NBA hierarchy, then those are the kind of things that need to happen. But I think you make. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, let's where can it where can it start happening? Yeah, let's just let's flop the shots with Dinwiddie. Like yeah. you need to be more of a playmaker. You need to be more of an end of the shot clock guy. They have to be comfortable running pick and roll with you a little bit or just like you know, some inverted stuff with screening. Like, I think that like, they're going to have to try to do, get a little more creative with him in order to see if it's going to be able to happen. Yeah. Because ultimately, and I, by the way, if you want to think about just the, the overall impact on the roster, if less usage for Spencer Dinwiddie, more uses for Cameron Johnson, that, that, that gets Spencer Dinwiddie more into the role that he needs to be. We talk about Ben Simmons coming back. Guess what? That's going to get higher usage for Cameron Johnson, because that's what he's going to look to do in a positive way. If he's clicking on all cylinders, which by the way, Cameron Johnson did say he expects Ben Simmons to be at or close to 100% coming into this season. So we're excited. Everyone's about saying all the right things for Ben Simmons. All day, concerned, man. They, I, 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 they all, either it's either it's true or they all got the memo. Either way, I don't care. Like, right. like I, I don't care what the truth is here in this one. It's either totally true or everyone got, like, you know, the memo went out to all players. It was like, hey, if really you get asked, here is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, yeah. so I think I think the truth is probably somewhere in between, but it's at least good to hear all the positivity. Buddy, in early August, there's nothing that I'd rather hear than everyone speaking highly of Ben Simmons, which and by the way, so another I'm just gonna put a little wrinkle in here. If you're wondering if Cameron Johnson can get to this place, if his game can take that next step, him playing for Team USA with Mikhail Bridges, like we're actually yeah. going to get a little bit of a look at this. And from what we're, we can glean from what Steve Kerr is up to with the team. 
Cameron Johnson's been running in the first unit. Some fans yeah, have been intrigued by that from yeah. afar and whether or not he should be, but he is running in that starting unit. And it's funny, I actually think that they're applying the same type of thinking that the Brooklyn Nets are. When you bring in Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson, hey, you're the leaders of this team, you're veterans in the league, you're taking that next step forward. It seems like Team USA is going, you're leaders, you're taking on these bigger roles in Brooklyn, we're going to give you those same roles here with Team USA. So we actually will get a glimpse of this in a in a more yeah. legitimate sense than you normally would in an offseason. And that just for and just for the, those that didn't see it, the team, the, the starting lineup they ran in training camp, it's always subject to change. Yep. But that's that uh, lineup was Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges, Brandon Ingram, Cameron Johnson, and Jaron Jackson Jr. Like that, again, if we're talking about guys that can make ready to make leaps, those guys are all well above him on the list, right? They're either like slightly yeah. above him or way above him um, yep. on on anyone's list, no matter how you were making it. <laughs> like no matter how you were making a top hundred list of NBA players, every one of those guys on that list of the of, of that starting group is going would be higher than would Cameron Johnson right now, right? right? Like there's no doubt about it. Um, but the fact that he's being put into these groups by independent people, right? Like Steve Kerr is the coach. Um. Like there's no reason to do it. There's no contract on this team. There's no contracts. Right. There's no right. and there's no anything else. It's like, hey, we're just trying to win. We are trying to win yep. in, in, at these world things. We're only we're not. There's no egos. We're not. Try, we're just trying to put our best foot forward. It's an amazing sign that he's in that group because all those guys are better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. On. Well, and so here's first point, and then um, and then a question. I think we can close out on the first point is look at that starting five. Now, again, the the Brooklyn Nets, just in case you're wondering, don't have one-to-ones for the guys that are playing the starting five outside of Mikhail Bridges because they have Mikhail Bridges. But this, the construct of that starting unit speaks more to the model of what the Brooklyn Nets have on their roster. So in terms of getting a sample size, again, of Cameron Johnson, he's going to play with a really undersized point guard that has some downhill attack ability, and, and it's obviously a table setter for everybody. You think about Ingram with his length. Again, the Nets don't have a guy like that, but they brought in parts and pieces that they hope can manufacture some version of that. So I think you'll actually see Cameron Johnson in a somewhat similar role to what expectations should be going into the season. The question I have then is, um, is it good enough? Because we've talked about, can he be, what, what does he need to be? I think ultimately, does it matter where he ends up ranking, you know, in the top, whatever of the NBA? No, like certain, certain key categories do. And I think he can be, and needs to be a top 40 score, which makes him a 20 plus point score. But do you think it's enough for him to be like the most elite version of a three and D wing? Because I think like when we think about you for Nets fans, Joe Harris and you know these type of guys, you go, well, that was three. And then I didn't realize that there was D, right? But if he can be a high level version where on the defensive end, you're, you're looking and talking about him, locking dudes up, making big defensive plays, game in and game out, then I think it's enough to hit that mark of being just barely a 20 point score, a little bit over. Being an elite when we talk about three-point shooting percentage, open up some of those other little facets of the game that we talk about. But I actually think that might be the goal here. It's not about being a next-level offensive player and becoming a 25-point-a-night guy. It's about being like elite in those three or four key categories that you've already shown you are very, very good at. Now just max out for the next season or two, and the Nets get insane value, I think. Yeah. So the question is, is he, can he become like, like who are the best? And like, the question is like, who are the best versions of this? Is it like Michael right. Porter jr? Like, you know, can he be as good as that? Yeah, definitely. Right. Like right. I'm, I'm, 
these are the guys that like, you know, elite spot of shooting, get a little bit into the mid range can, you know, rebound, can do a bunch of other stuff was on a championship level team, even if it struggled, like sometimes finding the exact guy that mixes and matches like this, isn't the easiest thing um, just yeah. because every NBA player is different. But I was like rolling through some of the guys that, uh, that were on this list and trying to think about where he, like, what are other like OG Ananobi? Like, okay. Bet he's better on offense, worse on defense, right? There's, you know, Chris. Could he be Chris Middleton? Why did he have to get into the mid range a lot more? I'm just trying to think like this next level above just the three and D wing, like these guys that can do either one thing, like defense, super elite, and then just enough on the offense, or they're really good on defense and they're just they can really do some really good stuff on offense. Like it's it's not it's not easy to always make these one to one comps, which is why these these lists are always open for just subjectivity and for opinions, right? Like. Everyone would have put Mikhail Bridges lower. And then I was like, oh, he can score in the mid-range and kind of carry okay. an offense. So he goes way up, right? Because he would have been the next guy. He's like, is he more than a three and D wing? We're not sure. Guess what? Right. He is. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. well, so the ultimate like, goal is, is to be that, right? Be your well, version maybe of that's Bridges. It. Go, are you more than? Yep. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the whole thing, actually. Maybe, like, can he take a Bridges-type leap? Like, I, I'm not sure. We saw so much from Mikhail Bridges that I, it's, hard to, it's hard to think that, but – Maybe that's just the comp. It's like, can you take a similar leap to what Mikhail Bridges saw last year? Because then you're really talking. All right, we got a ton of we got tons of stuff to talk about in the offseason. Obviously, we're going to be breaking down uh, some more Nets moves. They brought in some guys like Trenton Watford. We'll talk about where he fits into this stuff. We got a bunch of other things that we want to talk about with the Nets, and as we gear up for some FIBA stuff, where the Nets are going to be well represented, Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, yeah. uh, as well. So tons to talk about this offseason. Make sure you are subscribed to Locked On Nets over on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So we're going to be coming at you multiple times a week all through the offseason. Not many outlets are going to be able to say that. Totally free as well. So all you got to do is just make sure you hit subscribe over at Lockdown Nets over on YouTube. August, the summer's last messenger of misery, is a hollow actor. Henry Rollins! Oh, again, one of the all-time great poets. Again, we'll talk, be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.